I want to start and finish today with what I will call the extraordinary life of Jesus. Um, there, there has never, ever been another person like Jesus. To try to compare Jesus to other spiritual leaders, uh, religious leaders of history, is just ignorance. Anybody that tries to compare them is either one, lying, or two, just ignorant of the truth. There's never been anybody else like Jesus. When we, when we read this portion of Scripture today, literally hours before Jesus was crucified, it's interesting to think that Jesus' entire life, He knew was leading to this moment. You know, all of us know that we're going to die. But could you imagine knowing how you were going to die? When you were going to die? And literally knowing that it was for the purpose of dying, that horrendous death, that was the reason that you came. Jesus lived his entire life with this consciousness that this moment is why he came to earth. In fact, even really early on in his ministry, Jesus speaks about the hour that was his to have. The hour. And this is it. Jesus has come to the final moments of his life. Everything has come to a head. All of his life, Jesus has known that this moment, this day, this hour would come. And there he stands all alone. This morning, I want us. I want us to. Um, I want us to look at this passage and deal with what I would call the reality that everybody had to make a choice. Pilate had to make a choice. The soldiers had to make a choice. The Jews had to make a choice. The religious leaders had to make a choice. Jesus had to make a choice. Everybody had to make a choice, and that's what I want us to consider this morning is the reality that everybody must make a choice concerning Jesus. If the Holy Spirit will help me, I hope to demonstrate that not just does, you know, will everybody have to make a choice, but more accurately said, everybody has made a choice. Every person in the sound of my voice right now, you've already made a choice about Jesus. You can change that choice, as we will see. But there's nobody sitting here, there's nobody on earth for that matter, there's nobody that's ever lived that has not made a choice concerning Jesus. I want to give you four reasons why. Four reasons that whether you like it or not, you have to make a choice concerning Jesus. Four reasons that whether you like it or not, you will make a choice concerning Jesus. Number one this morning, very simply put, there is no neutral ground. You know, we see that in Pilate. Pilate thought that he could choose the neutral ground. I think it would be good, maybe even healthy, uh, especially for some of our new Christians, new believers, maybe folks that don't know um, you know, all the stories of the Bible, it'd be good to provide some context of our story. 
This is an actual historical event with real people that actually existed in a real place in a real setting and time. So Pilate was the governor of the area that included Jerusalem. And it helps to understand, maybe similar to uh, what we might think of as America, right? We as Christians, we have our own set of laws. Like, one of my laws is that I am to love my neighbor as myself. Now, as a child of God, I answer to God, and I need to keep God's laws. And as we know as Christians, God's laws are supreme above all other laws. Yet, we still live under a earthly government, and that earthly government also has authority over us. There are certain things we just can't do. doesn't matter what we want to do. You just can't do just because you're a Christian. So the Jews were in a very similar situation. Pilate was the governor, but Pilate could care less about God. Pilate could care less about their feuds. He wasn't a religious man. He was just a person that um, was under the ultimate rule of Caesar doing a job. Well, the Jewish people wanted to kill Jesus. Guess what? They're under Roman law. They can't just kill whoever they want. They can't even, you know, back in the, the, the old day, they were able to stone people. They couldn't even do that now. It was, it was an offense against the rule of government. So the Jews got together and they said, we're going to come to Pilate. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the government authorities and we're going to convince the government authorities to kill Jesus. But here's the problem. Jesus hadn't done anything the government cared about. The real reason the Jews wanted Jesus dead was because he claimed to be the son of God. And guess what? Pilate could give two rips less. He don't care. So what? The guy claims to be the son of God. What's it have to do with us? So the Jews got together and they created a lie. They said, Jesus says that uh, we, he, he's, he's going to have an insurrection against Rome and he's trying to teach a bunch of people that Caesar's not king. Jesus never said any such thing. So the Jews come to Pilate. Pilate can tell he's got a problem on his hands. We got this whole crowd of people that want to kill Jesus. Pilate's going to be in some trouble if his little area turns into a riot. And so Pilate thinks to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a way to appease these Jews. The first thing he tries to do is offer them a prisoner. It's important to understand what's happening there. One of the things Pilate would do once a year to try to show like, that he was merciful is he would let the Jews pick one prisoner they wanted released. And that was his way of like gaining favor with the Jews. I'm a, I'm a good governor once a year, I'll release to you any prisoner of your choice. Well, Pilate thinks, I know what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to get out of this one because I do not want to kill that man. I'm only going to give them two choices. They can either release this prisoner or this prisoner, and it's going to be Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. Pilate's thinking to himself, there ain't no way they're going to let Barabbas back on the street. He's like, I got him tricked. They have no choice but to let Jesus go. The crowd is in such a frenzy at this point, they say, release the murderer back onto our streets and kill Jesus. And here's what Pilate does. 
Pilate decides he's going to do it. He decides he's going to give the order, and he literally steps up in front of the crowd, and he washes his hands in front of them. As to say, I am, and this is what he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. No, he's not. He happened to be the one person there with the literal legal authority to just say, no, this ain't happening. And instead, he used his legal authority to sanction the killing of Jesus and thought that by somehow washing his hands, that absolved him of any responsibility. It is so absurd. And yet there are people who truly believe that you can be neutral on Jesus. Like, I'm not really joining one side. I'm not joining the other side. I just don't really know. You need to understand that that in and of itself is a decision. To choose to do nothing with Jesus is a choice. And in and of itself, it is a choice that says, I refuse to see you as God. I do not worship you as God. I will not obey you. I will not respect your word. There is no such thing as washing your hands of this, folks. And so many people like Pilate want to feel like that's what they've done. Pilate wanted to feel like, well, I haven't done anything wrong here. I mean, I haven't, I haven't put an innocent man to death. Yeah, you did, Pilate. There is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. Second reason that you've got to make a choice. Because there's a last chance that each of us will face. Barabbas stood there as one last chance for mankind to turn from their wickedness. And I believe this with all of my heart. God gives everybody one last chance. You know, there are certain passages of Scripture that lead me to believe that God gives every single person, every one of His creations, one chance. I, I believe that. I've believed that for years. Passages like God does not delight in the perishing of the wicked. Passages like God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Passages like for God so loved the world, that's all of us, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe God gives everybody at least one chance. Now, for some of us, and I would argue probably for most of us, God's actually given us chance and chance and chance and chance, some of us hundreds of chances. When I look at my own life and I look at where I was when I came to Christ at 20 years old, I can look back at multitudes of times that I personally rejected Christ. I had school teachers. Thank God for brave school teachers. I had school teachers that challenged me at school on, and told me that I needed Jesus. I didn't listen to them. I didn't believe what they had to say. But I, I had teachers that challenged me. Um, th there were, I can look at a handful of times in my life where people tried to bring me to Jesus, tried to introduce me to Jesus. I just didn't want anything to do with it. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that when this guy got saved, it wasn't the first chance that I had. I mean, I had chance and chance and chance again. And I believe that generally speaking, that's the way it is with all of us. But understand something. There will come a last chance. 
an absolute last chance, and none of us really know when that is. This was the last chance for these people to turn and stop the madness. This was it. It was their unwillingness to accept this offer to release Barabbas or Jesus. It was their unwillingness here that ultimately was the final tipping point and set everything in emotion. It was done. Jesus would be crucified. I also believe this about the last chance. I believe this, <clears throat> that each of us do have a moment when you know that you know that you know that God is dealing with your heart. It's deeper than some decision like, should I be part of the church or not? No, no, not, not that. I'm, I'm not talking that. It's much deeper than the decision like, do I want to be a Christian it's, it's much deeper than the decision of joining a church or trying to become religious. There's this defining moment when it's just you and it's just God and you know it that the God of heaven and earth is dealing with your soul and you have a decision to make. Are you going to say yes or are you going to say no? Brothers and sisters, when we're praying for our loved ones to be saved, it is that moment we need to be praying for people to come to. And, and, and it's also, it's a hard moment to bring people to. I'll be completely transparent. I'm trying to do it this morning. And, and, and when we bring people to that moment, understand something, it's, it's, it's just different. It's real. It's sincere. There's a very real sense of this could be the last chance I have to say yes or no to God. I remember years ago praying for somebody that I just, I, they, they weren't right with God. They weren't saved at all. They had no love for the things of God and lived their life in sin. And I, I, I realized I needed to get a little more specific than God, please save this person. God, please save so-and-so. God, please save so-and-so. So here's what I prayed very specifically. God, bring them to the place where they absolutely know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you have spoken to them and they have a choice to be made. And here's what I know. They might say no. I, I recognize they might say no. And I recognize that if they do say no, their heart's just going to get harder and harder and harder. But they must come to the place of decision. The second reason that you must make a choice about Jesus is because you will have a last time at some point in your life to respond to God. And you never know when that is. I also want us to note, you know, Barabbas, Barabbas was an absolute uh, terrible person. One of the worst of the worst. And there's, in, inside this uh, event recorded for us, the major theme is the crowd just being absolutely whipped up into a frenzy. That's the major theme. Barabbas gets brought into it because Pilate thinks he's got a clever idea that's going to force the Jews to let go of Jesus. But I want you to notice something. There stands Barabbas. He is a known murderer. And there stands Jesus. One of them is going to have to die one of them will live. 
and Jesus would die in Barabbas' place. Here's what we see in the scriptures, brothers and sisters. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, Jesus died for you. But there is absolutely nobody that Jesus has not shed his blood for. There is no degree of wickedness that the blood of Jesus is not capable of cleansing. And even the worst of the worst can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Number three this morning, second reason or third reason that you've got to make a choice is because the crowd will force you to make a choice. You know, I want you to think about that crowd. They, uh, first of all, they've lost their mind. The, I, I think it does as well to really try to picture this event. So I want to give you some details about this exact event, and I, I want you to try to get your mind around what was going on. So after Pilate says, fine, Here's Barabbas. He asked the question, what, what should I do with Jesus? And in our English versions, it's typically stated as a sentence. Let him be crucified. Sometimes it just says, crucify him. In the actual uh, original text, it's just one word, and it is the command, crucified. And so literally what they were chanting was the, the word, crucify, 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 crucify. It's very similar to the, uh, like the Roman gladiator days when, it was, when the, the crowd would chant, kill. Kill, 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 kill. But they were being very specific with how they wanted him killed. They wanted him crucified. And notice this wording of verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but listen to these words, rather that a riot was beginning. Okay? Talking to you about the crowd. It was as if a riot was about to break out, and everybody is chanting... Crucify, 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 crucify. Now, here's what I want to ask. What are the chances that everybody in that crowd wanted Jesus dead? I mean, where were the people that were blind that now saw? Where were the people who were lepers that had been cleansed of their incurable disease? Where were the three people that Jesus had raised from the dead? Where were the people who were deaf that could now hear? Where were the people, the multitudes, the five, ten, twelve thousands who had been fed by Jesus miraculously? Where were these people? Now I'm going to tell you it's, indis- I mean, it's, it's unthinkable that, to think that none of them were there. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I think most of them were there. Most of them were there. It's the greatest 
event in their entire lifetime. I'm not being funny here, but there's nothing else going on. Trust me, they were there. Wouldn't you be? So I'm going to ask the question again. What's the likelihood that everyone in that crowd wanted him dead? It's not possible. There were people thinking to themselves, this is over the top. This is crazy. Pilate's right. Even Pilate, the Gentile governor, has looked at the facts and said he's not deserving of death. There were people there who absolutely disagreed with what was going on, and yet here's what we see. The mob still won. So I want to say it again. The crowd will force you to make a choice. And most people cower to the mob. Most people, they look at the riot. They, they become fearful. What happens if I speak up? What happens if I speak up for what's right? What happens if I say what I'm really thinking? And you know what most people do? Most people think to themselves, I'm, I'll deal with this later. That's what I'm going to do. I just want to get through this day. I just want to get through this particular time. I want to get just through this particular situation. And I'll process it tomorrow. But for now, I'm either going to say nothing and just let what happens, happens. Or worst case scenario, if I have forced to, I'll chant crucify too. Whatever it takes to get through this day. You need to understand something. What I'm talking to you about this morning, and I, I really pray the Holy Spirit can give you the revelation of things I'm saying. Because they're simple, but unless, unless God helps you to get it in the depth of your soul, you won't get it. You will make a choice. It's not a question of, will you make a choice? You have to make a choice. It's impossible to not make a choice. So what are you going to do when the crowd, your crowd, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your world, what are you going to do when the crowd in your life makes the wrong decision? Because at some point, they will. And what I want to submit to you is, if you wait to figure it out until here, you'll do what everyone else does. You're going to fail. But you've got to make up your mind and you've got to make up your heart. Who are you going to be and how are you going to act when the day comes that you have to stand either alone or you have to stand against the crowd or with a very small group of people that are willing to say, we will not bend a knee to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. We will not bow. We will not break. We are going to be faithful to God. The crowd will force you to make a choice. Real men and women of God have always been those who will refuse to be controlled or manipulated by the crowd. 
You know, it's worth noting that, that this particular crowd here in our text was a crowd of the most religious people on the planet. People who considered themselves to be God-fearing people, Jehovah worshipers. That's, that's who we have here shouting for the death of Jehovah's Son. And there's a lesson here. Even inside of your religious circles, even with your Christian friends, you at times will be tested to do things that you know are wrong, to laugh at things you know you shouldn't laugh about, to gossip about people you shouldn't gossip about, to do things you shouldn't do. And you have got to be prepared in those moments to stand for God and to stand for what is right no matter who in your life is trying to influence you otherwise. Finally this morning, and by far the most important, the fourth reason that you have to make a choice is because the extraordinary life of Jesus demands a response. You know, when we think about his life and soon hear his death, Jesus is so vastly different from everybody else that has ever lived. His life is unparalleled. Jesus, at 12 years old, is teaching it with wisdom that's confounding the wise. Jesus, for three and a half years of ministry, did so much that all the books of the world could not contain him. Walked on water, commanded the waves and the wind, healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, cleansed the lepers, raised three folks from the dead. His life was unparalleled. And I want you in just this, this, this event alone, can we look just quickly, I mean, and I mean real quickly, at some incredibly like the difference between Jesus and the rest of the people there. You've got everybody there, by the way. You've got Roman government. You've got Roman soldiers. You've got government authority with Pilate there. You've got uh, Jewish people there, the average person in the church pew. You've got religious leaders. You've got the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. You've got everybody there. You've got a murderer who's the worst of the worst. And there you have, all by himself, Jesus. Consider how different Jesus is than us. Everybody's yelling and screaming. It is to the point that it's almost called a riot. There Jesus stands silent. It's worth noting that Jesus does not answer to us. God does not answer to you. I want you to picture the hatred that this entire crowd allowed to consume them. I want you to picture their angry faces. And then I want you to picture Jesus by himself loving the very people that hate him. I have no doubt there was a sense of sadness in his eyes. But they hated him to death. And there he stood 
in front of the very people that hated him to death, and he loved them. I'm telling you, the life of Jesus is so extraordinary. I, it, words will never, ever, ever, ever do justice. Consider the reality that they were there accusing him of things he had not done. And yet, as they stood there guilty, Jesus speaks not a single word of accusation to any of them. They were wishing him death, and he was literally about to give his life so that they could live. The entire crowd was unified against him. And there he stood all alone for them. They had no idea what they were doing, and yet he knew exactly what was going on. He was in control of it all. It would seem for a moment as if God had lost control. It would seem for a moment as if God's son had lost control. But Jesus told his disciples something. It didn't help him in the moment. But he told him. Nobody takes my life from me. Uh-uh. No, no, no. no. Nobody takes my life from me. He is the giver of life. He said, I lay it down willingly. Jesus was in divine control the whole time. While an entire mob of people were out of control. I will say it again. The extraordinary life of Jesus, it demands... A response. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would get in place. You know, what looked like absolute chaos, and, and, in, and on one hand was chaos. It was like a riot. On the other hand, the Father and the Son were working their plan for us, for you. All of the hate in the universe could not stop Jesus from fulfilling God's plan for his life. All of the hate in the universe could not stop Jesus from loving you and from loving me. Jesus is so different. God was in control, though for a few short days it seemed otherwise. So, Jesus was crucified, and when you read on a little bit further, a couple things happened the day he was crucified, right? It tells us that from noon until 3 o'clock, so the middle of the day, that darkness, like midnight darkness, came upon the earth. It was a supernatural sign. It tells us that the earth quaked. It tells us that rocks literally broke apart, so it wasn't just like a little rumbling, we're talking Massive earthquake, darkness on the land, and all of this really like comes to a head when Jesus dies and breathes his last breath. And it tells us this, that one of the soldiers there said this statement. Surely, that was the Son of God. And he was right. And I would argue... That all of those things certainly prove that he was the Son of God. But listen to me this morning. That was not the end of the story. Three days later, the body of Jesus began to breathe again. 
And Jesus took off those grave clothes. And angels removed this stone away from his tomb. And Jesus came forth, witnessed by Roman guards. Jesus defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave. And he proved once and for all that he is indeed the Son of God Almighty. I'm telling you, there's never been another like Jesus. And because of who he is, you have to make a choice. There is no washing of your hands. So I leave you with the question this morning, not what choice Will you make? The question is, what choice have you made? Because you've made one. Maybe you thought you could be like Pilate and just wash your hands and get on down the road a little bit and deal with it later. You stand guilty as someone who has rejected Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That is your decision. Just if you have enough integrity to be honest about it. Come on, be real with yourself. You don't think he's worth serving? You don't think he's worth living for? You don't think he's worth giving up your life for? Just have some integrity and say so. Be honest with yourself at the very least. You cannot wash your hands of Jesus. Maybe this morning you've made the choice. You've truly turned your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've turned from your sins. You're following him. I just want to encourage you, child of God. I want to encourage you to be reminded. Sometimes we've got to stand alone. I want to encourage you to be reminded throughout all of history, it's always been the remnant that's been faithful to God. Even when all of, you know, when all of Israel would turn on God and go their way, there was always this little remnant of people. It might have been small. It might have been simply David. It might have simply been Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It might have been Jeremiah standing all by himself preaching to a people that refused to listen. But God has always had a small group of people that no matter what the crowd is doing, they're faithful to Him. And I want to challenge you, child of God, be that man, be that woman, be faithful to God no matter what the rest of the world does. If you're here this morning and you are not saved, I plead with you. The Word of God commands everybody, everywhere to repent. God commands you to repent. God commands you to turn from your wicked ways and turn to Him. This morning, what are you doing with Jesus?